The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today, we are joined by Melissa Haney. Melissa Haney is originally from Inukjuak, Quebec, a small flying-only community on the Hudson Bay. Flying in and out regularly as a child, she'd never thought of flying as a career. She attended Concordia University and was unclear with what she wanted to do afterwards. She applied to Air Inuit as a flight attendant, expecting a new challenge, and on September 11, 2001, had her first day solo as a flight attendant. As much as this day was to change aviation worldwide, it also reinforced for Melissa how much she wanted to be in this industry. After a year of working as a flight attendant, she began flight training after hearing stories from the pilots she worked with. She attended Cornwall Aviation and completed her commercial multi-IFR in nine months and started in Air Inuit's ground school for the Twin Otters soon thereafter, now having the opportunity to work above and see the vast Nunavik tundra from a different view. After gaining experience, she moved on to the Dash 8 as a first officer. In 2016, she was promoted to captain on the Dash 8 and is the first female Inuit captain. In 2017, the Canadian 99s honored her with a commemorative stamp for this accomplishment. In the last year, she has become assistant chief pilot for Dash 8 operations at Air Inuit and is also the Sparrow program coordinator, which strives to support Inuit youth to receive their pilot license. Living in the beautiful eastern townships and raising two young children, she also promotes women in aviation as the Quebec ambassador for Elevate Aviation. I am so excited to have her join me today. Welcome, Melissa. Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. All that to say, how did you get your start in aviation? So my start in aviation wasn't uh, typical at all. I'm uh, originally from a small town in northern Quebec. So the, the town is Inukchuak. It's along the um, eastern side of the Hudson Bay. And it's a fly in and out community. So I was always kind of around planes. Um, if we had to travel uh, to go to the dentist, the doctor, the only way to get there was on the plane. So I was always around them, but never, never knew that it was an option that I couldn't, that I could be a pilot or anything in aviation for that matter. Um, so I was living up north until uh, I was about eight years old. And uh, we moved down to, well, we call it the south, but to the Montreal area. Uh, the south isn't uh, Cuba or Mexico. Um, so we moved down to Montreal and I continued my schooling here. Um, I went, I graduated from high school, went to CJAP and was in university. And I remember just sitting in a class with, you know, many, many students and just kind of, what am I doing here? I don't know what I want to do as a career. And, um, since, uh, um, I am Inuit and from Northern Quebec. We actually have, we're very, very lucky that we have any post-secondary education paid for. Um, and with that, we have to go see, uh, we see a, um, a guidance counselor on a weekly basis, just to make sure that we're, we're on track, we're doing okay. 
And uh, I remember going in and speaking to her and just saying like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know. I don't really enjoy the program that I'm in right now. Um, so she says, well, actually, you just got a, a phone call from Erinuit and they're looking for some flight attendants. Would this be something that you would be interested in? So I said, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to start that. So I started I did an interview, started my ground school with the, as a flight attendant. And uh, that's how I got in. Now, what was it about becoming a flight attendant that was so exciting? So, first of all, uh, being a flight attendant for Air Inuit, uh, the most exciting thing was that I get to go back and to my home community almost on a, on a weekly basis. So, I got to be on the plane and see my friends, my family. So, that was, uh, that was something that I, that I really enjoyed. Now, your first day alone as a flight attendant happened to be on 9-11. What parallels do you see within the aviation industry right now with COVID-19 and the aftermath of 9-11? September 11, uh, 2001 was my first day solo as a flight attendant. So the summer leading up to that day, um, I was always with a, a flight attendant in training and um, left September 11th out of Montreal and we headed up uh, the Hudson coast. And I remember getting the phone call or a call from my captain saying that uh, once we land in Kujarapik, uh, we're, we're stopping there for the day. We had no other information. And um, it just, we got out of the plane, we went into a, a room and we saw the a television playing and we just sat there and, all our mouths were kind of open and we just didn't know what to do. So we actually stayed in, in uh, Kujarapik for the day. And uh, I know that aviation kind of stopped around the world uh, as it did, as it is right now with the, the pandemic uh, right now. And for sure there is a parallel, but in uh, with Air Inuit, just the operation that we were, 9-11 and COVID-19, we're very lucky that... Uh, we weren't affected too much by this pandemic. And is that just because of the nature of the flying that Air Inuit does or the location or a little bit of everything combined? Yeah, so it's a little bit of everything combined uh, because there are no roads uh, that lead up to Nunavik. Uh, we are an essential service, so we're bringing up all the, the food, medication. Like I said before, if anybody needs to go see a doctor, uh, we're the one doing the, the medevac flights. So we just ha we just have... We're the only, the only way in and out. Now, having an event that changed aviation as much as 9-11 so early on in your career, how did you stay motivated to remain in aviation? And how did that influence your decision to move into a pilot role? That day, um, I just remember it being, you know, so horrific for so many people and so many families around the world. And I kind of took it as, wow, this is really interesting. It's an adventure that I never knew that I could have. And I just tried to, you know, have a positive aspect on it. And I remember one of those, you know, just because where we fly, um, a lot of the time, uh, our plane was actually empty. So I got to go sit up in the flight deck with the pilots. And anytime they offered, I'd always go and sit with them. 
So that's kind of where my, my interest in piloting came from. Once you started your flight training, you managed to complete it entirely in nine months, which for anyone who's done flight training can tell you that that is an incredible feat. What was it like to do flight training at such an accelerated pace? I kind of didn't know. I just kind of showed up and I did my training. I didn't, didn't, no one ever told me a timeline. Uh, so I think I, I started really at a good time. Um, it was post 9-11, so there weren't a lot of people at flight schools. And I think that was one factor that kind of helped me along because if it was nice out, well, I had a plane and I had an instructor, so I was able to go fly. I was never kind of fighting anybody for, for that spot. And I think I also just started at a really good time of the year. I started at the beginning of, um, of May, actually around this time. And uh, the weather was good. I had good flying conditions to kind of get my uh, hours in and just kept going. I, I had uh, my plane. I had, I know there's a lot of uh, difficulties right now with, with the pandemic and students trying to book exams uh, with Transport Canada, but I didn't have that problem either. So just was able to book my exams and just kept going. Now, speaking of you just kept going, right out of flight school, you managed to get your first flying job. What was it like to make the transition from flying a Piper Seminole to a Twin Otter? Yeah, so I was very lucky. I finished uh, in at the beginning of uh, 2004, and it was still, you know, post 9-11 where there weren't a lot of flying jobs, uh, but where the industry was picking up and Aeronaut was picking up as well. Um, you know, with flying and hiring pilots. So I was able to get on a, a ground school uh, right after I finished my license. And um, the transition was was quite big. I remember the chief flight instructor at uh, the school I was going to said to me when I finished that, that you know, once he, he stamped my license there that I had a license to learn. And that's what it was. I went on the Twin Otter and my learning curve just just went up and up and up and I, I learned so many things that year and yes it was hard but I did work hard as well and I just took it uh, took it that way. Now what was it like to make the transition from a training environment right into a multi-crew environment? It's very challenging um, when you're in a training environment it's it's all on you you're the one doing your your flight planning your fuel your walk around everything to be going onto a, you know, a twin otter where we're two pilots. So, you know, all, all the tasks are, are cut in half and each person has their own tasks. So the captain has their jobs. Uh, you as a first officer, you have your job and you're both coming together to make sure that everybody did their job and flying. It's for sure, for sure, very different learning, you know, about multi-crew, but uh, it makes it a lot safer and it's very fun. It's very enjoyable. Now, what are some of the unique challenges about flying throughout Nunavik? Yes, Nunavik, Northern Canada, the Arctic, every single Canadian should go there if they have a chance. Um, it's uh, very challenging uh, where we operate. Um, 
you know, most of the time we're operating where it uh, gets dark at two o'clock in the afternoon and the sun doesn't rise until 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we're operating in conditions where, you know, it's minus uh, 40 and we didn't even add in the wind factor yet. Uh, we're landing on runways where they're 3,500 foot runways and they're contaminated. So there's snow and ice on them and we're dealing with uh, landing on them in, in big crosswinds. Um, but it's it's a wonderful challenge. And that's kind of why I got into and stayed at Air Inuit as the challenge is, is so fun. Uh, just landing on that runway when you, when you look at it and you say, I'm putting this plane down 42,000 pounds on a 3,500 foot runway and we have a 35 knot crosswind, like how much more fun can you have? So I love doing that. Um, but then also in the summer, we get the rewards of, you know, having sun almost 24 hours a day. So we get, we get all of the, all the amazing challenges. Then you get somewhere and then you have uh, huge mosquitoes flying around you, but it's all worth it. Now, do you have a favorite destination that you fly to? I have many. Uh, Oliver, Oliver Nunavik, you know, each, each community kind of offers uh, a special scenery. Um, but I think my favorite approach is Landing Runway 07 in Ibuivik. Ibuivik is the most northern uh, community in Quebec. And when you're landing 07, the, the view is just amazing. So I love going there. Um, I always love going to my hometown. So when I go to Inuktuak, uh, I always love landing there. There's always people that you know at the airport and, and they greet you. But like I said, each community is is so beautiful and you kind of get the, you get to know the ins and outs of, okay, well, when the, the winds are from the east in Muriak, well, we know that it's going to be really gusty that day. So we'll have to watch out uh, when the winds are from the north in Salouet, well, we know it's going to be foggy that day. In 2016, you became the first Inuit woman to be an airline captain following a captain upgrade on the Dash 8. What does it mean to you personally to be the first? So in 2016, when I uh, did get my upgrade on the Dash 8, um, following my uh, line and duck flights, uh, I didn't actually know that I was becoming the first. It wasn't something that I I did. It was just, you know, the next step for me. All pilots, uh, you know, the goal is to become a captain on a plane, and that's what I was doing. And I wasn't I wasn't expecting it. Um, so now that I that I am where I am and following that upgrade, which I'm really, really proud of myself for doing. I just kind of am using this platform to bring awareness to, for sure, you know, young Indigenous, young women. And yes, I love being a pilot and I love being a captain. But if you're able to find a career and a job that you really love, that's what we want, you know, the young Indigenous to know that find something that you love and excel at it. And that's kind of my message to to young people all around Canada. Currently, you work as the assistant chief pilot for Dash 8 operations at Air Inuit. 
What does the day-to-day of this role include? Very broad. Um, if I'm able to, to get a flight in a day, amazing. Um, I do, I do try to fly, uh, but my day-to-day could be anything from um, helping out with the schedule, either on, you know, on the line, at the simulator, um, just support for, for all our, for all our line pilots, support for our training team, uh, working with um, my chief pilot um, on SMS issues, on training issues, on you know ways to improve our our training program, uh, working on our SOP, um, just anything that that kind of needs to get done uh, can go into the office one day with a plan with your kind of to do list and halfway through the day, you haven't even touched it yet because other things come out. So the day is ever-changing and that's what makes it fun. Now, in addition to your role as assistant chief pilot on the Dash 8, you're also the coordinator for the Sparrow program at Air Inuit. Could you tell me a little bit more about the program and how it started? So the program um, started in 2012, but pre-2012, we were working uh, Aaron Hewitt was working with uh, the school board. Um, and like I said, at the beginning of, uh, of the podcast, uh, any post-secondary education is paid for by the school board. So even myself, I was very lucky that I actually had my, my pilot training paid for, which I'm extremely grateful for, because we know that is quite costly to get your pilot license. Um, so once a uh, uh, pilot uh, Inuit pilot beneficiary does get their license, they're actually able to come and uh, do an interview with Air Inuit and work for Air Inuit because the airline does actually belong to the Inuit of Nunavik. And this is one of the goals that, that Air Inuit has to promote uh, Inuit beneficiaries to work for their airline. So in 2012, uh, Air Inuit actually um, took um, leadership of the program and uh, we're there just to kind of coordinate uh, with the students, um, you know, supporting the students from anything of you know, where they're living to being there for them after, you know, they might not have had a great flight. So we're just kind of there to support them and uh, set them on the right path. So when they do get to Air Inuit, they're they're all set up there. And approximately how many students are in the program in any given year? So usually, um, not talking uh, during COVID years, because we're operating a little bit differently right now, uh, we take between four and five students at a time. Uh, So what's really great about this program is that the first part of their program, so their private pilot license, is actually um, started up in Kujuak. And this is there so that the students are able to fly out of their home territory and uh, start their pilot training, get a little bit of confidence in themselves. And then we bring the program down um, to the south, Montreal, um, for the rest of their their program. So the commercial and multi-IFR. So with this, it's hopefully not as big of a shock to, to continue, you know, living in the Montreal area. So they're able to, 
you know, get a few hours under their belt. They're able to do their first solo up in Kujuak. Um, I had one young lady, um, she's from Tesuyak, and she did her first um, navigation flight to her hometown. And her whole family was there for her to greet her on her first navigation, solo navigation. So, you know, just things like that, that make it a little bit uh, more special. Uh, it, it's a really great program up there in Kujuak. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to do it for um, the last uh, year because of the pandemic. But we're hoping next year that we'll be able to be back up in Kujuak. Because uh, so many people really enjoy the program, not just the students, but everybody else who kind of helps out with it. Uh, the uh, FSS up there in Kujuak enjoy talking to the students. Um, the instructor that gets to leave Montreal actually brings a 172 from Montreal up to Kujuak for so even for them it's a, a huge feat to kind of organize that whole trip um, and then even you know the other pilots who are working for Air Inuit they see a little one Cessna 72 flying around in the circuit so for everybody it's, it's a really great program and then uh, in September we move them back down so we have to leave before the bad weather comes up north and they're living in Montreal and finishing up their commercial multi-IFR and coming to work for Air Inuit after. It is such a special program and everyone I know who's been part of it, it just talks about how wonderful and special it is for the students and everyone involved. It, it just seems to have so much positivity and kindness built throughout that it, it just Everyone who I know who has been affiliated with it really speaks so highly of that program. It's a really great program. Um, like I said before, um, the Inuit of Nunavik own the airline. So um, we have about 12% of Indigenous uh, pilots that are, work, that are flying for us. And that's what, that's what we want to see. We have uh, pilots on in different positions uh, throughout our fleet. We have captains on the 737. Uh, we've had full crews of Indigenous pilots on the Dash 8 and for sure on the Twin Otter. So it's really great. Now, what is the most rewarding aspect of your role and time at Air Inuit? So I'm going to kind of separate it in two. I have uh, the Sparrow coordinator side and my the most rewarding is seeing the students succeed. So if it's going for their first solo, if it's having a successful written or flight test, that's always amazing. So I love I love seeing that um, bringing them through you know a hardship that they might have. That's really rewarding. And uh, for my day to day job, I think the most rewarding is seeing. Uh, I think pilots uh, getting a successful PPC on their dash eight, um, you know, bringing them up from, no, bringing them up, <laughs> bringing them from out of their ground school into a pre-simulator session through their simulator and then signing their line check. That's really something special. Um, and we get to do that for them. And the last year we've seen many crews come through so we've got to see many new faces on our operations here uh, on the Dash 8. So 
So that's really rewarding. In 2017, you were honored by the Canadian 99s for your accomplishments with a commemorative stamp. What was the process like and what did it mean for you to be recognized this way? I actually didn't know that this program had existed. Um, I got a phone call. I was up in La Grande uh, doing some cargo flights and I got this phone call from uh, Marilyn Dixon. She's head of the um, organizing committee for the, for the stamp committee. And she wanted to speak to me, kind of get my story and, and talk to me and that they're looking to honor me with this stamp. And I just had to say, yes, I had to use this platform again that, you know, women and Indigenous youth can, can get into these really great careers. So it was really touching for me. Now, how did they go about selecting the image for the stamp? Oh, yeah. So Marilyn had asked um, me to get uh, a picture for the stamp. And um, it's not something that, well, for sure myself, it's not something that I do that I that I take pictures of me kind of on a day-to-day -day basis. So I remember going to flight uh, one day and I brought my camera and I was like, okay, how am I going to get a picture? Uh, um, I don't do, do I sit in the flight deck? Am I going to be outside? And I remember I was in Salowit that morning where the picture was taken and it must've been minus 30 outside and we're getting the plane ready to leave that morning. And I was with my flight attendant. So I had asked her to, to take a picture of me. Um, so we did multiple poses. I remember having one with my, my big Canada goose on. And then I just said, oh, I'm going to take it off and just have my, my shirt on. So it was minus 30 and quite windy that day. And my flight attendant took the picture for me. And I think I was uh, talking through my teeth saying, just, just take the picture, just take the picture. But <laughs> I think it turned out quite well. It's a beautiful photo, and from looking at it, you would never guess that it was minus 30. Yeah, it was minus 30, and my flight attendant was probably very sick of me after that pairing, because I probably asked her to take 100 pictures of me on, on a three-day pairing, but <laughs> in the end, we got one. It's about just getting that right photo. It is. <laughs> Since 2020, you have served as the Quebec Ambassador for Elevate Aviation. Could you tell me a bit more about this role and how you became involved with Elevate? So I've been involved with Elevate uh, for a few years. I met uh, Kendra Kincaid at an event in Vancouver um, a few years ago now. And I was there speaking at another event and she was there as well. And I had never heard of them um, until then. So um, I was quite intrigued by um, what they were doing and what they were offering and um, after that I kept in touch with Kendra and the following year I think um, she reached out to me and said would you want to join our cross-country tour so I said sure I'm, I'm in not really knowing what, what I was getting into and um, so uh, that year on the tour we were I went with Kendra and some other ladies from Elevate um, out east in Moncton 
and uh, Montreal. And then that's the year that I met you, Laura, out in Ottawa. So I was, that's kind of how I got my start with uh, Elevate. Um, the following year, um, we did uh, a calendar for Elevate and we were able to go out to Edmonton and, and meet other young, other women from all across uh, Canada and in different uh, fields of aviation. And uh, from that, from there, I was able to go on their 2019 cross country tour, uh, where we actually went up to Iqaluit. Um, that year was probably well, was the last year that we actually get to go because last year was canceled. So it was a really great adventure going up to up there and meeting other young Inuit and being there with Kenja and Allison and being greeted by so many lovely ladies that that's kind of how my start with Elevate happened. Um, and then um, it's just growing. Elevate's just been growing uh, throughout the country. So now we have uh, all these, all each uh, province now has their own, uh, own wing. Um, so I'm the Quebec ambassador and I have two lovely ladies that I, that I work with, Olivia and Julie, who are amazing. So we've kind of been not up to too much because of the pandemic, but uh, we're hoping that post pandemic, we're gonna be able to get out there and continue promoting Elevate and Aviation to, to women in Quebec. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? So I've thought about this question um, I do have a lot of people that I do look up to. Uh, one person that I do look up to is uh, Johnny May. He was the first uh, Inuit pilot. Um, he's just a really cool guy. He's still flying around. Um, I also have other, you know, wonderful ladies um, that I've met along the way who, you know, have kind of paved the path for women to get into aviation. You know, women like Judy Cameron and Rosella Bjornsson, who have just paved the way for women uh, in my generation to get to where we are. I'm so thankful for them and what and what they did. And I hope that, you know, my generation is going to be doing the same for other young ladies coming up. And I hope that eventually we'll drop that qualifier that, you know, I'm not a woman pilot. I'm just a pilot. We don't call men pilots, men pilots, they're just pilots. So we'll drop that qualifier one day. I think one of my favorite pieces of aviation equity and equality that I've ever seen was that the word pilot can be pronounced he or she. And I always like that it's about the job, not about necessarily who you are. Exactly. That's, that's great. It's about the job. Um, I just look at, you know, the conditions where I fly in up in up north and you know if it's a man or a woman landing the plane up there we don't know you just have to do it. Now what are some activities you enjoy outside of aviation? I have uh, two young children so they do take up a lot of my time um, with them. Uh, we like to play outside. Um, I live in a really beautiful area of Quebec. I live in the eastern townships and we love skiing we love hiking playing outside um so that's 
kind of what takes up a lot of my time these days. They're still in elementary school. So uh, just keeping up with them is almost a full-time job right there. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your career? So this is a question that I thought long and hard about as well. Um, for sure, I, ha I have many stories like any, uh, any aviator or anybody who works in, in their field does. Um, but one of uh, my most favorite one that I, that I can think of is when I was a co-pilot on the Twin Otter. Um, I had just gotten checked out and I was flying with, with, um, with the captain and we were based up in Salwit uh, for a few, for a few uh, days. We we're doing some, we we're doing the sked flights uh, down to Pognitek, but uh, before our scheduled flight, uh, one morning we had to go uh, inland to get some, uh, to get a family at a, at a camp there. They had gone hunting and fishing, so we had to go pick them up and then bring them back to Salwit. Then we we're gonna go continue our, on our day. So we woke up that morning and it was beautiful, beautiful blue sky, no wind. Um, so we fueled up, left, and we're on our way back to Salowit. And uh, there was another plane on the ground and they called us up on the radio and we're like, guys, you have to land as soon as you can because we can see the fog rolling in. And uh, we saw the fog, it made literally a wall and it was right over halfway through the uh, down the runway. We were able to see it, and the fog just moved in so quickly that it we weren't able to see the runway anymore. Um, so we have to, you know, think quite quickly. And there's another runway uh, just to the west of Salowit, um, an old um, camping camping runway, and uh, my captain knew about that, so. Uh, we went and landed down there. We did an inspection and everything was good. So we were able to land there. And uh, we landed. We advised our dispatch that that we're okay. We can go to Salowit, but we're, we're at this other runway. And um, right beside it, there were some cabins. So we were able to go in the cabin, warm up a little bit. And uh, our passengers on board they had their, their full wheeler on the plane. So we took that out and um, we were able to go around with the full wheeler and there was some caribou around. It was like, I believe in September. So there was some caribou around. So we went hunting and got a caribou and went back to the cabin and had some, some fish, some caribou. Some people came from town on their boat. So they brought us up some food as well. And, at the end of the day, the weather got better, so we were able to make uh, started up the plane again, and uh, flew back, landed in Salowit, and called it a day. That was one of my favorite favorite times that I can think of. You always make flying in the north sound so incredibly magical, and you've not failed to do that here as well. It just sounds like that would have been such an incredible day and moment and flight that. I mean, just all the elements of it coming together the way it did. It just truly sounds so magical and like such an adventure. It really is. Uh, the North, um, you know, I, I know a lot of, and I've said it before, a lot of people say, oh, you know, go up North, get your hours and you can go on to a big airline. But 
there's so much reward in flying up north and the people that we fly, you know, the the missions that we complete. Um, it's such an essential service up there. Um, you know, our company's been bringing vaccines um, to the to the Inuit population. Uh, we've been bringing cargo. It's it's just so rewarding to be able to fly where we fly and it's so worth it now before we wrap up today where can our listeners find you on social media so on instagram uh, you can find me at nunavik fly gal and i'm also on linkedin with uh, melissa haney we will be sure to have both those links in the episode description for our listeners melissa haney thank you so much for joining me today Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, The Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.